0: the gates
2: and ready to go outkick 360 underway thursday edition we're getting closer to the weekend we're gonna help you get there faster we've got trey wallace who will join us be talking uh, reese's senior bowl coverage he's been down there for outkick.com in 20 minutes we'll recap all of uh, his analysis and takeaways from mobile Mike Gliss will be on with us in hour number two. He is a Broncos reporter, one of the top guys out there. He's covered the team for years in Denver for Nine News. Looking forward to chatting with him about Sean Payton teaming up with Russell Wilson and the cook in the kitchen now being the head coach and not the quarterback. And the saga around the coaching search. Mike will dive in on that. Armando Salguero and much more, including Pro Football Hall of Fame finalist, Marcus Ware. He joins us in two hours from right now. The Gun Show. Mike Gunselman from Outkick in studio with us here in Nashville. That's coming up in hour number three. Chad, good afternoon.
0: Good afternoon. Gun Show will bring the energy. Oh, yeah. He did last time. We expect that
2: from him. Um, you know what didn't have the energy yesterday? National Signing Day. It, what? National Signing Day. Hold on. It's, there was a National Signing Day yesterday? Yes. Well, I mean, this time last year, we, were, we knew when it was because Texas A&M set records. And soon after this, um, Saban had the quote about how they bought all their players, right? Well, uh, the on three consensus recruiting rankings, guess who's number one in Mm, 2023? Weird how that happens. The Alabama Crimson Tide, followed by Georgia. The last three national championships, you're looking at them in the top two, uh, followed by Texas, Ohio State, and you're looking at the, the rest of the top 10 there. The, Chad, this is my, my point on Alabama. We're not mentioning them because they're expected to be there. Texas A&M, sure, they bought, their, they bought and paid for, right? Last year with the, the consensus rankings, breaking records. But look at Alabama's class. A record, a record, nine five-star players. They have the number three, number five, and number eight overall players in the country Commit to them yesterday. Of the 28-player class at Alabama, 27 are five- or four-star athletes headed to play for the Crimson Tide. And not a peep about NIL, purchased players, uh, all the money that's involved with Alabama or Georgia. And I'm here to say it. like We need programs like Texas A&M. We need those programs to order the code red. And knock off the top teams that are on on the mantle year after year. If you're tired of Alabama and Georgia and the top of the SEC dominating everyone, um, it's time for those programs to receive a little love instead of, oh, Granddaddy Nick, thank you so much for calling out Jimbo Fisher. We hate him too. You're right. Those players are bought and paid for down at College Station. Turns out they weren't that good. They weren't team first by any means. But we need programs like Jimbo Fishers in College Station to continue to saddle up and bring the bag. Because otherwise,
0: Alabama and Saban are just going to continue to do it and get away with it
2: because no one's going to call them
0: out. Hutton, um, first off, bring the bag could be a new show mantra along with Let's Bang Hats. Uh, bring the that. bag. I, and it, can, it doesn't have to be AM, It can be anyone.
2: Any program. I'm not going to sit here and criticize you anymore because we're seeing the same teams at the top of the list every year, and there's a reason for it. They win, but they win for a reason.
0: You nailed it with what you said. And and my issue with it is, a year ago, like you said, when when Jimbo Fisher laid this out there, first off, Jimbo Fisher did not come across that well. I think that has a part to do with it, but it was Nick Saban who said it first. And then Fisher called the Yes, called the presser and went against him. But there's no one that's going to do this about Nick Saban. So my issue is Nick Saban says it. He had to apologize for it, which is rare for Nick Saban. So it wasn't like he wasn't criticized at all for what he said about about Jimbo Fisher. And I think most people originally were on the side of Jimbo Fisher. But then Jimbo Fisher had to call a press conference and he looked just as petty and said a lot of things that contradicted everything that we know to be true about what A&M oh, yeah. did.
2: But he also said, like, if you, want to, if you really want us to pull back the curtain on your program, Of keep course.
0: It up. Of course. So, overall, we need disruptors like Jimbo Fisher because I was thinking about this looking at the, the ratings with the on three consensus. Tennessee is a good example. Tennessee just had maybe their best year in 20 years. It's a national mm-hmm. brand to begin with. They've got the best offense in college football. They've got arguably the best NIL collective in all of college sports. They finished 10th nationally. 10th. So is that the best Tennessee can do with all of those factors? And if that's the case, how in the hell are you ever going to beat Alabama and Georgia consistently? So I think you're right, Hunt. It is going to take someone anteing up and paying more than Bama and Georgia and having the right coach in place to make this happen. And maybe we shouldn't be overly critical of a Jimbo Fisher – and a Texas A&M that's
2: willing to do so. Well, there's a reason why Saban was critical of Jimbo Fisher in College Station and and A&M last year. Um, Soon after, we were discussing A&M's record highest-ranked class. um, It's because this is how you knock off the top dog on the mantle. Alabama retakes that spot from Georgia uh, in in terms of uh, the, the number one spot in recruiting. Georgia, though, right behind them, and, you know, last year we are talking about the, the record class for A&M. I'm sitting here looking at this class with nine five-stars, which is a new record. And I'm thinking, I'm not hearing anyone mention this. And they're doing the same thing. And I'm not against what they're doing. But I, I, I thought we, overall the sentiment was extremely critical on Texas A&M when we're looking at programs do it year after year and it's not the same headline
0: this, the, the following signing day. So, Jay Carey in our YouTube chat says, Saving is for NIL if the player earns it, not pay for play. Um, yeah. I mean, I think his principles would tell him that's what he's for. But mm-hmm. don't kid yourselves. He's paying guys to play, too. This class is not receiving zero, and they're not being told, hey, right. we're not going to give you anything right now, but if you come to Bama and you play well, you're going to make a lot of money. No. They're getting agreements done up front to sign with Alabama. Not solely the money to bring them there, but they're getting agreements like any other school would give agreements to how many five-star guys again? Nine. Holden? Nine? Nine. To 27 nine of the 28 or four or five. You're not getting nine five-star players by saying, yeah, if you play well, we're going to pay you. They're getting paid to go to Alabama, just like they're getting paid to go anywhere else. So I don't buy that. There's all this talk about you know, Saban came out and said – We had one guy transfer because he came into my office and he wanted money and he wanted his girlfriend to have a job or his girlfriend to get into the graduate school or all these demands and I said no and they transferred and suddenly Saban becomes this sympathetic character. I'm buying what he's saying as something that's likely to happen at schools. I'm I'm just not buying Saban as this (laughs) sympathetic character of, you know, I'm sure deals have been cut. While Nick Saban sure. is there, is my point. And if they earn them, great. And
2: I'm, look, I'm all for it. But it, it, they're all playing the game. And the reaction to someone that stepped up to be a disruptor was way different than the same teams at the top that continue. By the way, the 27-28, the four or five star, the only player who wasn't is the second ranked kicker in the country that also is now headed to Alabama.
0: Yeah, Jay Carey says he wanted his girlfriend to get get law school paid for at Alabama was part of the deal. Um, I don't know what player he's talking about. I'm sure Saban said no. I have no reason to think he's lying about that. Mm -hmm. I also think if it was um, Bryce Young coming back for another season for a possible national championship, and Bryce Young would have said I want my girlfriend's law school paid for. I'm willing to bet people at Alabama would have stepped up and yeah, made that happen.
2: But that would be him earning it to what he was saying in the chat. Well, this player played for Saban. But he's not but he's not the
0: he's not Bryce Young. Exactly. Yeah. But my point is this kid, I'm not I don't want to speculate on who the kid is that yeah. may have said this because Sabin didn't say. Right. But Saban didn't think he was good enough to do that. That's why he didn't pay for it. It's not because he's This has some morality clause within his soul (laughs) that says, I'm not going to have someone's girlfriend law school paid for. Get it straight. If it was Bryce Young or if it was Will Anderson that he knew, liked, and had produced and that could help him win a national title, guess what? That law school is getting paid for. That girlfriend's getting a full ride to law school. There's no doubt about it.
2: Chad, yesterday was National Girls and Women in Sports Day. You have two daughters. Your thoughts.
0: Hutton, as, as a father of two daughters, I love when you know, people say that. As a woman, uh, yes. as people will say, I'm not trying to tell women how to think or feel. I'm not the least bit presumptuous to try to do that. But I do take issue with this National Girls and Women in Sports Day for a couple of reasons. Um, one, it should not exist. Not because I have anything against girls and women in sports. It's because I want to view them as equal. All right. If we are about equality in this country and with everything that we do, there's no National Men's Day for men and boys in sports. I don't think we need one for women. I think women have done enough in sports now for long enough that I see them as men in sports, the same. And here's my, my real issue with all of it. And I know a lot of great women in media that are every bit as good, if not better, than a lot of men in media. And this is no disrespect to my female friends in media. But if you're posting things like, happy National Girls and Women in Sports Day, just remember, if you're a woman working in sports, that you are worthy, you are strong, you are smart, you are great at your job, you are this and that. That is not true. Your sex does not make you good at something. It's just not. How ridiculous would it be if I said, happy boys and men in sports day. If you're one of my male friends working in sports media, I want you to read this and know you're great at your job. You're smart. All of your opinions are good. You're great at asking questions. You're excellent at producing shows. You're great at writing. You're good at everything. You're worthy. You're the best. It's not true. People are bad at their jobs in every walk of life. For every good woman I know working in sports, I know some pretty bad ones also. I watch them on TV. I read their work. I see what they do. Same goes for men. If we are truly to be about equality, then we have to be able to criticize both sexes and not just say, oh, well, this guy's criticizing me as a woman because they don't want to hear their sports from a woman. That is true with a lot of men, and it's wrong. If a guy is going to step up, and say that about a woman or talk about her looks or say about how she can't know anything about sports because she's a girl or whatever, that is completely wrong. But you are allowed to be criticized as well for your work and it doesn't always mean that they hate you because you're a woman. I'm anti-National Girls and Women in Sports Day because I respect girls and women in sports that play it, that work in it, that cover it, and I wanna see them as equals. I want to treat them as equals, just as they want to be seen as equals. So a day propping them up as something different or better, to me, is antithetical to what we're trying to do.
2: Did you have the uh, discussion with uh, the daughters at all while you are coaching them, or is it just simply you're coaching them like you were coached?
0: Hutton, I'm just trying to make sure that one of the dads in my softball Uh, group text is okay because... I've already got a dad saying that he's getting too many texts on the group text with me setting up practice and everything. So once I send out a new group text that excludes the 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 one dad who wants out, what I want to respond with is just say, do you think that I'm not annoyed by having to get all this information and text it to all of you? You're the secretary. Of course this is annoying. (laughs) I, I hate to break this to people, but your life, especially after you have kids, becomes handling annoyances one after the other. So you just have to learn how to deal with them the best you can and, and move along. But the annoyances uh, are but always no, from the kids. T- to answer your question, I did not have any conversations with either of my daughters about National Girls and, and Women in Sports Day. And again, this is not an anti girl right. sports, women's sports stance. It's just, it, it seems redundant to me because it's all now about equality and making sure everyone is seen as equals, and I'm all for that. I don't want to judge someone that covers sports or talks about it based on their sex. I want to judge them by the merit of their work. So when you have a day that's all about a hashtag that is just propping up everyone that works in a sport, whether they're good or not, because of their sex, I'm against it. Well said. Brady, with his
2: retirement yesterday, incredible numbers here. His record against every NFL team over his 23-year career. And the only teams... A couple things that stand out. Domination in the division when he was with the Patriots in the AFC East. And the only teams that he remains unbeaten against are the teams he played for. He always won against the Bucs, and whenever he faced off against New England, he won. Um, but the domination, 33-3 and three against the Buffalo Bills, 30-7 and seven against the Jets... 24 and 12 against the Dolphins, 12 and 3 against the Colts, and the the rest of the AFC South remains up top with Jacksonville, Tennessee, and Houston. uh, Winning records throughout. And therein lies the greatest career of all time, Chad, that you pointed out yesterday. I should also say 6 and 0 against uh, the, the Vikings. I overlooked that. Didn't play all that much out West, but when he did, at worst, he's finishing 500.
0: It's incredible. When you see that collage together, let's, let's put that back up there so I can see that again too. Um, the one that really jumps out, my oh my, if you're a Buffalo Bills fan, how happy you are to see the end of Tom Brady as a football player. 33-3 and three overall against the Bills uh, is incredible. It's just – I saw the – there's one tweet going around that said, say goodbye to your childhood for a lot of people of a certain yeah. age. And it's Brady, Manning, Breeze, uh, Ben Roethlisberger, Phillip Rivers, a collage of all these quarterbacks who played for so long yes. that are no longer now. They're still with us on earth. I'm saying no longer playing in the NFL. And it it, it almost brought a tear to my eye.
2: There's a stat of the, the first Super Bowl. Um, for the second time in 20 years, the Super Bowl will not have at least one of these. Brady, Manning, Roethlisberger, or San Francisco. In the Super Bowl. Second time in 20 years. We won't see at least one of those four brands. Um, real quick, Chad. The most players in Super Bowl 57 represented by college on this active roster for both teams. Who would you say?
0: Both teams combined? Yeah. I'm just going to guess Ohio State. Close. As just one I, to I throw would, out there. I would throw them out. Alabama,
2: Georgia. Yep. I mean, they put a ton of players in. Oklahoma, and I reference this because Oklahoma has six players participating in Super Bowl 57 on the active rosters for Kansas City and Philadelphia, but they're also, what, top five in the recruiting class, along with Texas, by the way. Um, Six players for Oklahoma in the Super Bowl. Florida, Michigan, Mississippi State, and Georgia with four Alabama, Cincinnati, Florida State, Louisiana Tech, Nebraska, Washington State with three. Hold on. First off,
0: Alabama fans everywhere are just insulted to be on this list with everyone except Florida State, Nebraska maybe historically. But if you saw a list of Alabama, Cincinnati, Louisiana Tech, Washington State, Tide fans everywhere will be throwing up to see their name listed with those schools. But at least for this one exercise, that's where they are. And then I think the key to take away, two
2: players – Uh, from each of these programs, Auburn, Memphis, Middle Tennessee State, Old Dominion, Rutgers, SMU, Texas Tech, USC, Wisconsin, the depth of the drafts are coming from the group of five, by and large. And that's where the value comes in with the scouting department and general managers. 47 other schools have at least one player represented. But I was surprised to see Oklahoma at the top. I don't view them in that same lens. It's it's weird now, with Oklahoma Jalen Hurts because, is of course the quarterback there they're they're referencing there but I was again I I would guess exactly like you did I know we're gonna Ohio talk um,
0: Bama Georgia yeah I know we're gonna talk Big Twelve uh, the schedule at some point but it was crazy reading through some of the stats about it you know Bedlam is probably going away yeah now that Oklahoma is leaving but I mean I, I want to say Oklahoma State has only won like eleven times. In the history of that, or maybe less than that, it's it's way out of whack in favor of Oklahoma, and that is just a solid reminder. I think Oklahoma has beaten Oklahoma State more than any other program has beaten any Anyone? one other program. And Oklahoma wow. State's a pretty good football program, you know. Historically, at yeah. least in the last twenty-five years, yeah, they've been pretty good. I mean, going back to Barry Sanders, not bad. They've got a good lineage of running backs with Barry Sanders and Thurman Thomas. But in reading that, it it is a solid reminder of the legacy of Oklahoma football and how strong it is.
2: We'll tie back into recruiting. We'll also tie in the draft with this discussion down at the Senior Bowl in Mobile where Trey Wallace wrapping up coverage there for OutKick. will get his takes from the week of coverage that's next on OutKick 360. Outkick 360 rolls on from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Putnam Withrow with you. Joined by Trey Wallace of Outkick.com, SEC writer, college football discussion as he's on his way back from Mobile. Trey, hope you're doing well and uh, hope the Senior Bowl treated you well.
1: It was good, guys. Sorry, uh, I had a, a problem here at the Relax Inn somewhere off I-75. So, uh, communication issues have been a problem, but no, it look it it is it was a it was a good week down in Mobile. Got to see a lot of prospects. Got to talk to a lot of NFL scouts, um, a lot of college coaches. Just trying to navigate this thing and what it's going to look like over the next three months. It um and then and then also guys putting a bow tie on the college football season that was twenty twenty two. With Georgia winning in the, you know, in Los Angeles. So it was a good week down at the senior bowl. And uh, yeah, I thought it wrapped up well.
2: Max Duggan and Malik Cunningham, the two biggest takeaways at the quarterback position on the field.
1: You know what? It, it really was, I, I, you know, I, I looked at Max Duggan. And you guys remember the last time we saw Max Duggan, he was getting destroyed by Georgia's defense. Um, so you didn't really get a, a solid look at Max unless, you know, you watch during the season or whatnot. But on the national stage, that was kind of the last time. And, and so this is kind of a fresh start for him uh, in Mobile. This is kind of a way, okay, I know what you guys saw in the last game of the year, but this is me, you know, going up against the best competition in, in the country. And I'll put Georgia up there by themselves. I think Georgia, you know, that team this year, could probably beat a whole senior ball squad. But I think overall, I think with Max Duggan, Malik Cunningham, you know, guys, you know, even Malik Cunningham, Jonathan, you know, he's a guy that did not get an invite until technically the whole Stetson Bennett thing was cleared up. So right when that was cleared up, Malik Cunningham got his invite, he accepted it, got ready to come down to Mobile, and I thought he really took advantage of it for for the three practice days. I did. I, I think he's a guy. I don't know if he'll be drafted, uh, but he is. You know, to me, he kind of stands out as a guy that could be used. Get, you know, a program, a, an NFL team, going to pick him up, use him on a practice squad, maybe make a roster. You know, and and, and I, I think the one guy that, that I leave out here is Jake Hayner from Fresno State. How many times in the last two years did we see that young man drive down the field and win games in overtime or win games at the end of regulation? for Fresno State. So a couple quarterbacks that, that stood out to me down in Mobile, and those three just happened to be some of them.
0: Well, I, and I want to ask about another quarterback who was physically unable to perform at the Senior Bowl but still got the invite. We talked to Jim Nagy about Hendon Hooker, Trey, and how he got the invite because he was such a focal point of college football all year, and so many teams wanted to talk to him, and he thought he earned his spot at the Senior Bowl even though he's recovering from the knee injury and the surgery. How do you think Hendon Hooker acquitted himself in those interviews, not just with teams, but with media at the Senior Bowl?
1: I thought he did a great job, Chad, uh, for a guy that, and look, we all, we all know Hendon Hooker. You know, he handles himself well, um, respectful to, to everybody, takes time, uh, out, goes out of the way to, to even spend extra time with media members and whatnot. Um, I, I thought he handled the process. I, w- I was speaking to a couple coaches that were in town and, and, and just kind of off the record type of stuff. And, you know, they, they, were, they were talking about how professional he was during the interview processes, um, how he knew. Uh, he, he has been studying NFL playbooks as well. Um, it, it caught one coach by surprise um, that he had kind of known the scheme that they run, the plays that they run, how he would fit into that system. Um, this is a this is a young man who was well prepared, and, and and also this gets lost on a lot of people, but he's down here in Mobile while he's rehabbing an ACL tear in and, and surgery, and he's taking time to work out on his own. He's he's having Zoom sessions with his trainers whenever he can find the time in Mobile, you know, to work out that leg to make sure that he's ready to go and. You know, in speaking with Hendon, sounds like things are going great. About six and a half weeks out of surgery, he expects to be able to put 100% weight on that leg here in about two weeks. Um, he expects to be running in March. And and you guys know this, man, if, if he can get like that before an NFL training camp begins, um, he, I, I think he's going to be a really good addition to somebody's squad and in, in maybe in two years, He's the type of quarterback that can come in and, and give a spark to a team and, and maybe take over. I, I think he has the most promise as a quarterback in Mobile for somebody at the Senior Bowl, for somebody that's going to play in the NFL in maybe two years. I, I think it's Hendon Hooker. Um, and, and he's done a fantastic job. And, again, so many folks, so many nice things to say about him. He's in the huddles you know, during these practices. He's got a play sheet in his hand. He's learning the NFL way. So good on Hendon Hooker for for taking that time while he's rehabbing to come to Mobile. He's staying all the way through Friday. Um, And and I think it's been useful when it comes to NFL teams looking at him, Jeb
2: Trey Wallace with us from Outkick.com. Trey, what was your biggest takeaway from National Signing Day?
1: (laughs) Alabama's right there, you know, number one. You know, this time last year, what were we doing? We were, we were, we didn't know it yet, but we were about to get a bombshell from Nick Saban at the World American Games in Birmingham, Alabama. And it was going to set the college football world on fire all the way through spring meetings, you know, in May and Destin. I, I you know, take it away. I, I, look what South Carolina did. Towards the end, uh, going to get five-star athlete, you know, uh, six foot five, two hundred and thirty-pound Nico Arbour. I mean, you you talk about a player that's going to make an impact for the Gamecocks right there immediately. Uh, you you look at Alabama, you 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 see what they had did uh, when it comes to the five-star recruits. You know, uh, I think they set a record yeah, if I'm not mistaken for many right, nine five-star recruits. And they filled a bunch of spots. But here's the one thing that interests me. It's Alabama, what are you doing at quarterback next year? Are you rolling with Ty Simpson? Is this Jalen Milrow? Um, I know that, that Nick Saban uh, has brought Tommy Reese down there to Tuscaloosa. He's actually on his way right now. They spoke yesterday for about two hours. Tommy Reese is the offensive coordinator for Notre Dame. They spoke through Zoom yesterday for about two hours. Um, and, and, and Saban felt good enough to bring him down to Tuscaloosa. Um, that, that has a lot to do with me and, and these quarterbacks in this, in this class and the recruiting class going forward because Tommy Reese is a guy that can recruit as well. And, and so what's Alabama going to look like with him on the sideline if he takes the job? And I find it very, very hard to believe that Vic Saban is going to fly in two separate people Remember, he flew in Ryan Grubb from Washington. He turned him down. I don't think he's flying Tommy Reese down for nothing. There's a reason why he's coming to Tuscaloosa, and I don't think Nick Saban lets him leave without him being the new OC.
0: So, Trey, no no disrespect to Arizona State. Okay, maybe a little bit of disrespect Mm -hmm. to Arizona State. But when I see that Jaden Rashada is headed to Arizona State and not Florida, am I wrong to assume that Florida probably did the right thing by not paying him the money they had promised before? Even given their lack of depth at quarterback for this next year,
1: I'm gonna I'm gonna break this down like real quick for you guys and explain how this, why this went down. The reason why Chad Florida went so hard, there's a booster at Florida who has been getting into a, uh, uh what's the best word for it? Um, a, you know, relieving themselves break. You know, um, getting into a pissing contest with John Ruiz at Miami. They have been going back and forth, back and forth on players behind the scenes. Once the Florida booster found out what Miami was doing, and this kid was interested in Florida as well, Florida goes out, and offers an insane amount of money that this kid should nowhere near it. Should nowhere. This kid should probably have probably had a contract. For maybe four million dollars over four years. Thirteen point eight five million? Absolutely stupid money. So you get back and forth and you're going back and forth with each other. Okay, Florida comes out on top of the end, and then the booster pulls out, and he's like, Well, wait a minute. Why am I wasting $13 million over four years on this kid? Like it finally hit him after he calmed himself down. It was like, Why am I doing this? I shouldn't do this. So Florida gets out of it. Florida releases him. He goes to Arizona State. Hey, who was at Arizona State last year? Emory Jones. Emory Jones left Arizona State. It's not the program, you know, that you thought it would be. And and, and and I don't think he would have been, if it wasn't for Florida, I don't know if he would have been at a school besides Miami that would have technically made a splash. Because Arizona State doesn't make a splash. You guys know that. So I, it was such a screwed up situation. Arizona state is is not a program that says, Oh, Hey, you know, even though they got, you know, Dillingham out there, they got a new coach, you know, they'll be ready to go on offense. It still doesn't feel like that splash that that was happening. What two weeks ago, three weeks ago with Florida. So a a lot can change over that time period.
2: Yeah. And he, um, you know, he heads to Arizona state where his dad went to college. Um, His childhood school was Arizona state as he referenced, but you know, in the, tweet that he put out, I'm happy to, um, I, I'm glad I'm here, a place where I'm happy, a school where the head coach always has my back. I mean, I, I was, wow, uh, with the, just, you know, as he goes to Arizona State, he's still looking over his shoulder uh, back at the Florida program. what do you make of the way he that was, final jab?
1: Jonathan, it wasn't Billy. It wasn't Billy Napier that screwed things up. It was. It was a high-level booster. Down there, um, it, it wasn't the Gator Collective that screwed it up. It was another attorney that loves to go online and loves to chat about NIL contracts. And you know, he was involved in the contract down there, uh, putting that money together. There were a lot of there were a lot of hands in this pot trying to make things work for Jaden Rashada when the kid shouldn't have been making that much money, and he probably still be a Florida Gator right now, um, in my in my opinion. I just feel like the blame is being put on somebody that it shouldn't, and and it's Billy Napier. Billy Napier is not out here negotiating contracts. You know, Billy Napier might have found out over the last three weeks how much this kid was asking for. You know, um, they did pull the deal. They pulled the deal three weeks before signing day. They tried to restructure the deal. Florida said they would take care of him, but at the end, you know, it didn't work out. And a lot of people want to blame Billy Napier for that. And I just don't see it that way. I see it as a bunch of greedy boosters down there and one in particular that didn't help his cause. And and now you got Jaden Rashada, who ends up at Arizona state. So, you know, if, if anything, go after, go after the boosters that are promising you that they're going to pay you over $4 million, you know, over four years, $13 million. That's who you should go after, not the head coach.
0: Trey, is Bam any closer to finding their offensive coordinator?
1: I mean, I think so, Chad. I, I think that in talking with a few folks uh, down in Mobile over the last couple days, four or five days, uh, you know, when they struck out on, on on Grubb from Washington, it was more of a fit thing. Um, you know, Ryan Grubb realized he had Michael Penix Jr. back next year. Washington can make a run, you know, towards a playoff spot. Um, and I know some people will laugh at that, but Phoenix is a Heisman candidate. He should be. Um, you got to realize, and this is what somebody told me yesterday, you're not coming to Alabama to run your own offense. You're coming to Alabama to run the offense that Nick Saban wants you to run, but you can call some of your plays. There's a big difference between coming into a program and setting your own offense up, doing your own thing, different formations, whatnot, blah, 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 compared to Nick Saban sitting you down and saying, okay, hey, look, this is what we run here. This is the style. These are the calls that we kind of have right now that players feel comfortable with. Do you feel comfortable coming in here and running this offense? You can put your little twink to it if you want to, you know, put your name on it a little bit, however you feel, but you're going to run what I want you to run. It's the same thing with the defensive coordinator position. So I, I, I feel like Ami Reese could be a good candidate for that. If that happens, I feel horrible for Sam Hartman, who transferred from Wake Forest to Notre Dame, you know, and might not have an offensive coordinator. That's another wrinkle to this thing. But I, I just I don't feel like Nick Saban doesn't make these things public, these these OCs, the DC's hires. He's made the last two public. Now, maybe it's not on him personally, but the last two have been public. Grubb from Washington, now Tommy Reese from Notre Dame. I just feel like publicly you can't strike out uh, on the second one. So I'm very interested to see how this goes over the next 24 hours in Tuscaloosa.
2: Had you heard any other names?
1: I mean, I did. I heard a couple of NFL guys. Um, you know, Greg Roman, was a guy that I had heard um, Dan Mullen said no right from the start. He was good. He wasn't getting back into that. Um, and then, you know, you kind of look outside the box. Um, you know, I'll tell you one name that came up that, that was surprised him before he we went back to Kentucky uh, was Liam Cohen. Um, you know, it, it's a kind of a different style of offense that they run uh, at Kentucky or what he ran with the Rams. Um, but that was a name that kind of got brought up because they had known Bill O'Brien was going to leave for a while. So this wasn't new. And that's why I'm kind of surprised this has taken so long, to be honest with you, because they knew Bill O'Brien was going back to the Patriots. Like, it just didn't happen within those three days. Like, he was gone. So I'm a little bit surprised at some of the candidates, but then I look at it and I think, okay, you're coming in and running a system that he wants you to, but let me go find the right guy that could be a good recruiter, something that, in my opinion, Bill O'Brien was not, was a good recruiter. Let me go find a young guy that I can get on the trail that could be another staple point of my program.
2: Is, is Georgia OC Todd Munkin just wanting to get back to the NFL, or is it more
1: than that? I think the, the flirtation with wanting to get back into the NFL, which they held that meeting down in Mobile, you know, the, the Munkin Buccaneers meeting. Um, it is something that he has talked about quietly to a few people over the last two years. Um, when you have a kid like Stetson – a kid like Stetson <laughs> Bennett, A man, a grown man like Stetson Bennett that can run your offense and you don't have to worry about anything, I think it changes the dynamic of what you're trying to do at Georgia. Like, he didn't have to do much. Like, his play calling was great, but I'm saying, you know, Developing Stetson, Stetson was was good after 2021, so it didn't take much effort to work with that quarterback. You're starting off with somebody brand new next year, Carson Beck, Brock Vandergriff. Do you want to do that? you want to go to the NFL where things are a little bit more calm, don't have to worry about NIL, don't have to worry about transfer portal, recruiting, and whatnot? I tell you guys, it's not just Todd Munkin. Again, speaking with some folks down here, you're going to see a lot more of these college coaches that are getting out of the game and trying to get into the NFL because they are tired of the grueling schedule that comes with being a head coach now that we have NIL, transfer portal, um, these recruiting periods are getting out of, getting a little bit crazy in in, in a lot of people's minds. Um, Just the grind of everyday college where in the NFL, okay, you can be home by 6.30 with your family. You're good. You're working with professional athletes. You're not wondering. You don't know, have kids coming up to you every other day. I mean, I didn't get my payment, or hey man, what am I going to be making? Or what? You know, it just there's a lot to it. Todd Monken to me is a guy that would like to get back in the NFL, but it's got to be the right situation. And uh, look, I think I think once the Buccaneers knew that that Tom Brady was was probably leaning towards heading out the door you you got to get somebody different in there to run that system. I think Munkin would be a good candidate. all depends on what they do at that quarterback spot. So we'll see how that plays out. Um, if he stays in Georgia, hey, he stays in Georgia, and he's got some talented quarterbacks. And I'm curious to see how the next week plays out.
2: Also talking with Baltimore as well, uh, Munkin. And yeah, he could yeah. end up back in Tampa. They have a good yeah. familiarity well, with him there. His
0: whole rant on the the uh, question about family, football being family, and mm-hmm. saying it's not a family you know, I, I could take another job. He could fire me if I don't do well. I don't buy into that. That This all makes a little more sense now that yeah. he probably had his mind on leaving at the end of the season regardless. Trey Draft
1: Absolutely. Absol- yeah, absolutely he did. And and I will say, you know, the, the, you're going to see a lot of trickle-down effect when it comes to the NFL, when it comes to position coaches. Um, there are a lot of position coaches down here looking for jobs, you know, in the NFL. So... Just watch that over the next week as these OC spots get filled out of offensive line coaches, maybe a wide receivers coach has to move around and stuff like that. So keep an eye on that guys.
2: Trey, drive safe and uh, we'll chat with you soon. And we will be uh, tuned into the podcast with you and Andy.
1: Hey guys, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. We had a great week in the senior bowl. Hope you guys have a wonderful weekend. Thanks for having me.
2: Thanks Trey. Trey Wallace podcast, Outkick.com. This week's guest is Andy Staples. Uh, We'll tie in the Tom Brady discussion, the Buccaneers discussion with his retirement. An NFL veteran, well, uh, a time and a place to start comparing Brady to uh, world events. That's next on OutKick360.
1: You ready?
0: Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the
1: Fall Guy.
0: What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes.
1: Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall
0: guy. what the poster said.
1: See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy.
0: Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd.
2: Read it PG 13. Coming up, Mike Kliss will join us, Broncos reporter for Denver Nine News. We'll dive into all of the, I mean, the, the coaching search to finally end up with Sean Payton, but flying to Ann Arbor to meet with Harbaugh, uh, D'Amico Ryans. Did they try to go back or, around and get him from signing with Houston as their head coach? Mike will have the latest for us that's coming up in eight minutes. Chad, everyone's been chiming in, um, current players, uh, those involved with the NFL, past and present, um, in regards to reaction with Tom Brady's retirement announcement. Sean O'Hara, longtime offensive lineman, was on Good Morning Football. And, well, uh, his comparison's a a bit odd.
0: This is a, a huge
1: moment, not just for Tom Brady, not just for the NFL, but, like, for all of us. You know, look... Uh, people remember where they were when JFK was assassinated. You remember where you were with 9-11. Can I tell you something? Can interrupt you real quick? He, his first start was a week after 9-11. That's how long ago he's been playing. I, was, I came out in the same year as him, 2000, and he's still playing. 23 years. That's a long time. But I, I'm going to remember this. Like, I'm going to remember who I'm, I'm with. Uh, Kyle's going to remember he was in Vegas. Um, you, you're going to remember where you were when Tom Brady announced his official retirement. And it sounds like this one's for real.
2: So, I mean, he's... He's a good morning football NFL network. He Sean O'Hare is trying to say he will remember where he was when he found out Tom Brady was retiring for a second time. Um, But tying it into world events and uh, legitimate things that, you know, are are not a game. Right. Like that's the odd part about it. I get his overall point of he's going to remember where he was. I mean, that that just doesn't hit the same uh, when you're trying to make the point and you bring up you know the world events and the, the tragedies.
0: So uh, look, we talk into a microphone for three hours a day. So I get it. You're gonna say some dumb things or things you wish you had back that you right, didn't yeah. articulate the right way or didn't use the right words or didn't find the right word and it's not it, that's gonna happen. Overall, I, I'm not gonna crush Sean yeah. O'Hara. I understand what he's trying to say, but there should be something that goes off in your brain. When you talk about Tom Brady retirement day and compare that to JFK assassination day and 9 11, that just instinctively tells you to say, I realized those were real life events that are big moments and are way more historically significant. But I'm, I'm just, just saying, saying I'm yeah. going to remember where I was when all of these events happened. I'm not comparing the events, I'm comparing the moment you found out about the events. That should be an automatic signifier in the brain when you mention those three things together. So for that, not the smartest way to put it all together, but I'm not going to crush the guy because you're going to say some dumb things. uh, It's a
2: great pull by Peter Schrager there to interrupt, jump
0: in, and say his first start was the week after 9-11. I also thought it was interesting that his mind immediately went to, hey, you mentioned 9-11. Let me jump in on... It's just a weird thing on Good Morning Football to say, let me jump in on the JFK assassination. Have you seen the Oliver Stone film? I don't know how you break that up when you're comparing Brady, retirement date, all of that. But How
2: do we separate else? the coaching search for the Denver Broncos? What's real? What didn't happen behind the scenes? And ultimately, how did they get their guy in Sean Payton? Mike Kliss joins us when we return from Denver. We'll dive into all the issues and How does he fix Russell Wilson? That's next on OutKick 360.